Hi there. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We'd like to take a moment to announce that we are launching a Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com slash TalkingTolkien. We'll also post it on our Facebook and Twitter. We'd appreciate it if you'd take a moment to check out the Patreon and hopefully give some money. Obviously, you don't need to give, and we'd appreciate you sharing our podcast just as much. With just a little bit of extra funding, we'll be able to buy server space, equipment, and other necessities to help our podcast grow. Eventually, our plan is to offer other podcasts about other beloved works and overlooked classics. Thanks. All right, then. Should we go ahead and start this light... Ish, I don't know. We read a lot. <laughs> yeah, read almost too much. Yeah, uh, chapters seven and eight, queer lodgings, and what was the other one? Nests and something. I actually don't remember. Queer lodgings and flies and spiders. Flies and spiders. Ten percent of the book, based upon my estimation, <laughs> which seemed a little bit much compared to what we had been reading previously. Uh, so this is Talking Tolkien. This is our, I believe, sixth Hobbit episode. Yeah. Uh, slight change of formula from normal. Katie was not able to be with us today. She had a, uh, a family member pass away, so she is out of town. Our thoughts are with her. Um, she did read the chapter and send us some notes, so her presence is here in spirit, if not in person. Uh, with that, I am John. This is Chase. What's up? Yeah, so our last episode was our first video episode in which we kind of took apart the first Hobbit movie. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that uh, more than we enjoyed the movie. <laughs> I'm already kind of dreading the next one, I have to be honest. Yeah, so I've I've seen part of of the next, of, of the second one, what do they call it? Uh, the Desolation of Smaug. Desolation of Smaug. Yes, I've seen part of it on HBO Go just because you showed me a clip that was so, like, horrid. I needed to, like... What clip? Of the giant gold... Thing. Oh yeah, we'll, uh, yeah. That's near the end. We'll, we'll save that for. for God, it's like the kind of movie I remember. Actually, we'll save uh, that for later. But the movie uh, starts with them encountering Bjorn in a very different way, uh, if I recall correctly, than what happens in the book. But anyway, what happens in the book is quite the most like in- intriguing and probably my new favorite thing of the entire book so far. It's very Gandalfian. Basically, like the troop are on the eagles, let them go. And kind of like talk with them and say some stuff to them. Like we get like a like a farewell message from the eagles, as well as like the appropriate thing to respond to them that Gandalf gives. And uh, and then they're basically and they're on top of something called the Karak, Carrick, Carrick. And they're all very and all the dwarves and such are very confused about the name. And Gandalf's like, well, whatever. You, you the person who named it just he names things. Okay, so here we go. Farewell, they cried, wherever you fare till your eeries receive you at the journey's end. That is the polite thing to say among eagles. May the wind under your wings bear you where the sun sails and the moon walks, answers Gandalf, who knew the correct reply. So yes, um, they get dropped off. Gandalf is like, this is the Carrick. And Bilbo's like, what's a Carrick? And he's like, well, the guy who lives here calls all these things Carricks. But this is like the main ones. This is the Carrick. Uh, and then they're like, well, who lives here? And he's like, well, he is a skin shifter named Bjorn. Skin shifter is a very odd term. Uh, and they seem very kind of like wary about it. And Gandalf's like, no, 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 don't worry. He just turns into a big black bear. It's essentially, <laughs> yeah, it's what we would call, you know, a shapeshifter. Or changeling. Changeling, yeah. Reptilian. 
Ectomorph. Yeah. What is that from? Ectomorph? Yeah. That doesn't sound like something from Ghostbusters. That sounds like some ex- like Ghostbusters the game. But you've never I think played it. It is from Ghostbusters though. So but, you- yeah, they 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 go to they go to his house and he's got like great cattle and gigantic bees herds everywhere. Herds of bees. Herds of herds of bees don't come in herds. They come in clouds. Bees? Bees, yes. Bees. Bees in the trap. But anyway, they they encounter like all these like crazy creatures. I see what you did there. Yeah, shut up. I know. <laughs> but they can encounter all these Weird creatures around Baron's house. And it's Baron, right? Or is it Baron? Bjorn is what Bjorn. I always said. Okay. We don't have Katie here to police us on our... Bjorn. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds Like, odd. he's a member of ABBA. You yeah. You know, Benny and Bjorn. Well, Gandalf says that, like, he kind of, like, has a temper. And so it's better to, like, introduce everybody kind of slowly. And so they basically go up two by two. And while, like, Gandalf's introducing everybody to Bjorn, he subtly brings in the other dwarves slowly and it's actually a really clever scene because like Gandalf is getting him all wrapped up in the story and like starts adding to how many dwarves that they have in total number it's like starts off a small number then it's like oh we have like a dozen it's like the first time I've ever heard four dwarves called like a dozen and then like and keeps two more walk up yeah and two more walk up and then our, our herd of ponies why do you need a herd for you know six? Oh, we actually have eight two more walk up and then Oh, they counted ten of us. Wait, there are eight here. Two more walk up. It's cute. It's a really cute scene. So I just looked this up, and I could not be more incorrect. I, I retract my use of the word ectomorph because apparently it's from a pseudoscientific body like trait characterization in which people are lumped into three groups, and the ectomorph is the tall, linear, thin, fragile, lightly muscled, flat-chested, and delicate. What I suppose an author would call like a willowy person. The other two it's are one, it's a one hell like that's a that's a crazy use of the I don't know. There's also mesomorph characterized as hard, rugged, rectangular, athletically built with well-developed muscles, thick skin, and good posture, and an endomorph characterized as round and soft with underdeveloped muscles and having difficulty losing weight. So a video gamer. Okay. Also in this scene, we got our first mention of Radagast. Is it like our only mention of Radagast in this whole book? By the way, I don't recall. But yeah. So anyway. When Gandalf first approaches Bjorn, Bjorn does not know him, even though Gandalf knows who Bjorn is. And Gandalf says, well, I'm a wizard. You probably know my friend Radagast. So oh, anyway, cousin. He says cousin. cousin that's yeah. Right. So anyway, Bjorn receives them, and eventually all the dwarves come, and they have a great feast. And A lot of like little animals bringing them food and stuff, which was super whimsical for how like dark everything was previously. Yeah, so Bjorn lives in this kind of multi-building complex and there's like a great hall with like a fire pit and like a hole in the roof for the smoke to come out and dwar- uh, like like ponies are like nudging in like stools with their noses and like the dogs can walk on their hind legs that was my favorite image of the dogs <laughs> on the hind legs carrying stuff so uh, Bjorn being a skin changer is uh, friends with animals and does not eat meat so the dwarves are a little perturbed that they have this beautiful vegetarian buffet but you know Bilbo just eats his fill and then all of a sudden they pull all these beds out and Bilbo like is like oh my god I have a, a bed with blankets it's like a little hay thing and he like nestles in there yeah a little mattress with some wool blankets and he sleeps but he wakes up in the middle of the night and he hears like some scratching and stuff and then he yeah and be, and before then Bjorn had said something along the lines of don't don't go outside don't go outside at all at night in these woods don't do that not right now and then they wake up in the morning, and Bilbo's almost lo- like he's almost not gotten any breakfast because he's woken up really late. They, nobody woke him up. No, no one so woke they him ate up. all the breakfast and woke him up. And there's like, oh, there's a little left for you. 
But it turns out, is this when Bjorn comes back? No. Is that no. when Gandalf comes back? Because Gandalf no. left again. They're, they're like, Gandalf back. left right after breakfast. We don't know where he is. And we also don't know where Bjorn is. And so they just kind of like spend the day in the house. And Gandalf comes back and he's like, okay, well, there are a bunch of bear tracks outside. So I think there was a meeting of the bears. And there's a single file like bear track that goes all the way back to the Carrick. So I think, I think Bjorn is going out checking our story, seeing if we told the truth. Also, didn't like wasn't there like a mention of like a dancing bear, or a bunch of bears dancing? It was weird. It was a weird scene. <laughs> but yeah, he goes off and like checks all the stuff and talks about like seeing the where the wargs were, um, like the big fight, fo- like the charred <laughs> remains of like the warg area. Where like, the, oh, okay, yeah. where the wargs were sounds like a like an indie like drama set in the Middle Earth universe. It's it that sounds basically like uh, Beasts of Southern Wild. You know, like now that I think about it, yeah. Like 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 coming this fall, starring Laura Dern and Mark Ruffalo, where the wargs were, <laughs> which is actually based on the movie We Don't Live Here Anymore, and I don't know why that's what I latched on to, but it is. So anyway, Bjorn comes back at night. He's like, "Oh, I captured a goblin or warg and tortured them, and your story is totally true." Oh, and I killed one of the wargs, and here's a head of a goblin. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, <laughs> it's like surprisingly dark for for the rest of this book. Like, there's an impaled goblin head. After he tortured the goblin for information. Well, I felt like it was like this like scene where they set up like, this guy is really tough and not one to be messed with. Like, even though he seems really nice. He's Ron they, Swanson. Oh. Yeah, he, he's got, he can have a dark spin if he wants to. So then he says, you didn't tell me that you killed the great goblins. So now I have even more respect for you. Uh, but they're really mad about that. And they're sending armies and <laughs> they think you're further south of here. So rather than go south, I'm going to send you north through the middle of Mirkwood Forest. So he sends them with ponies and bunch of provisions and they ride north until the border of the forest. And specifically says stick on the path. And do not drink from the only river in the forest because it's enchanted. So is the only river? I thought it was just a river. Well, it's like the only like. He says, water is hard to find in the forest. The only thing you will come upon that is, like, substantial is a black river. Do not drink it. It is enchanted. Well, and because it also it makes everybody, like, sleepy yeah. and weird. It's it's kind of like the poppy field in the Wizard of Oz. And as it turns out, historically, poppies are associated with sleepiness because of the side effects of morphine. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, so maybe this is just, like, a, a river of pure heroin. <laughs> it's black because... Like, it's, run off of, like... It's, it's a black river because it's black tar. Mexican black tar heroin, is that what you want to Yes. But anyway, they, they've reached the edge of Mirkwood, and that's when Gandalf is like, I'm leaving. I'm out. I didn't mean to come with you guys this far, but here we are. But I really got to go do something. I got stuff to do, and and Bilbo starts, like, whining. And Bilbo's like, well, can we just, like, avoid the forest? And he's like, sure. But it's, like, 200 miles north and 400 miles south if you do that. And if you go south from the get-go, you're going to pass through the land to the necromancer, and he will smite you instantly. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That's what he's going to go take care of, I so, guess. So this is our first mention of the necromancer in this book. Uh, do you have any read on this yet, Chase? Granted, you might have a better well, idea. We have a better read. understanding because the Silmarillion specifically talked about like all this stuff. and like I feel like this is just the other side of a story where we saw in detail at the end of Silmarillion. So, I mean, he's just going to that fortress... To, to go one on one with the uh, necromancer, right? Yeah. So I mean, I mean, it's it's just it's just interesting them being in like the northern part of the woods and the necromancer being in the southern part of the woods. Something about that just weirded me out. That it's like they're all basically in the same area, but the woods are so thick and so big. 
Well, it's because, like, the northeastern part is where the elves live, and so, of course, you would want to get away from that. Anyway, so they, like, send the ponies back, and the dwarves don't want to, but Bilbo has noticed a bear figure stalking them for the past three days, so it's Cough, Cough, Bjorn. And Gandalf is like, listen, you don't want them on your bad side, give the ponies back. You can't take them in the woods, you know, just do it. He's here, you don't realize it, but he's here, so... Anyway, they, they, they start going through the woods, and it's oppressive and dark, and... It's pitch black at night, see nothing except for like eyes of like creatures peering at you. And slowly they run out of their food. And eventually they get to this river of which uh, of which Bjorn spoke. And there are the remnants of a bridge, but the bridge is rotted out. And Bilbo notices on the other side a small little boat. Oh yeah, the, well, the grand like... ordeal of trying to get this stupid boat. And then they like all like... Th- throw like who was it who throws ropes? Because it was was it Dory, or f- they had none of them else could see the boat, so they had Feely come out because he's the youngest, and Feely like confirmed, and yeah, somebody threw the rope, good... and I don't remember who it was. Yeah, well, it, was, it was one of those dwarves. I think it was strong Dory. ones, but they had a little hook that they put, and they missed it at first, and then they pull it, put it back in, and then they hooked the boat, and they pulled and they pulled and they pulled. And they all then it's like they're all pulling, and then they ripped the boat free of its of its anchor and pulled it over to them, and they got in and they crossed, and the last one was Bomber, uh, and as Bomber was crossing, a giant deer came out and kind of attacked them all and then leapt across the, the river in one jump, which was described as 12 meters, so this is a very, very, like, powerful deer. Yeah, it was, it seemed big, and then there was even, like, one dwarf who said, we could, like, jump it, and I'm like, you are a dum-dum. Like, I don't see how you can jump that. But thankfully, Thorin had his wits about him and shot the deer with um, a bow and arrow. They had all been given bows and arrows by Bjorn. He shot the deer as he was kind of leaping away, but the deer still kind of knocked Bomber into the river. And thing- well, and then they also like wasting all their arrows trying to get this yeah. stupid thing. So eventually more deer come and they've wasted all their arrows. And then they, they kind of lash Bomber and pull him out of the river and he's fast asleep. Yeah, because this is, this is the water we were talking about where fall in, you drink it, you're instantly sleepy, all the time. So Bomber is now a dead weight that they're carrying around constantly. Yes. Through this thick, thick, dumb woods. And and by this point, they've run out of most of their food, so they kind of re-proportion the packs, and then four of them carry Bomber at once. And they do not realize it, but the the, the sign of this wildlife is actually a sign that they're nearing the edge of the forest. But they keep going on, and they, they meet some birch trees, and the light is a little greener and a little clearer. And then they go into a valley, and they, they're in, like... Well, and they're also, like, where, where does this end? we got to, like, get a lookout. So they send yeah. Bilbo to the top. The valley is, is filled with oaks, and so Bilbo climbs to the top, and all he sees is trees. And what the narrator points out is that Bilbo is not smart enough to realize that they're in a valley, so of course all he would see is trees because they're at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So Bilbo comes back and reports this news, and they get very upset. And then that night, they see, like a fire and a clearing so they do what they oh and at this time bomber wakes up yeah and he's like why am i so hungry and he doesn't remember the last thing he remembers was eating at bilbo's he doesn't remember any of the journey they've had so far so not only is this water uh it it has this like memory erasing process to it or something along those lines i mean maybe it's like a temporary like not knowing what's going on. But they start, like, jumping at, like, light in this part where they're, like, seeing this, like, feast. I, jokingly in my head, my brain went to just a pun of this, like, immovable feast that just keeps, like, anytime they get close to it, it just disappear and, like, go off to another side of the forest and they 
see it and go after it again, and then it would disappear again. Yeah. And they keep doing that, and I think they did it, like, three times or yeah. something. And even, like, they try to throw out Bilbo out there, like, well, he's quiet, and then the moment he throws, go, he goes out there, boom. All the torches are extinguished, and everyone disappears, and they only find each other. And it's a bunch of elves, too. They, they yes. do say it's elves. So, they've done what they were told explicitly not to do, which is strayed from the path. And then the third time, what happens is that Bilbo gets lost from the rest of the party. And encounters uh, a spawn of Anguliant or something. Yeah, he finds a giant spider and he kills it with his dagger. Mm -hmm. And he's so proud of himself that he names his dagger Sting. Also, rolling back to the Silmarillion a little bit. We talked about Anguliant early on. And Anguliant, if you don't remember, was the spider that Morgoth worked with to destroy the trees in the uh, uh, west. Yeah, in Valinor. Yeah, in Valinor. And then they ended up in Middle-earth and... Because they crossed the Helcaraxi. Yeah, and then she just kind of like went off on her own. Well, she demanded more and more from yeah. Morgoth because she was so hungry. And eventually she wanted to eat one of the Silmarils and he wouldn't let her. So she just went off and did her own thing and kind of crossbred with the natural spriders. And eventually she was so hungry she ate herself. So this was the area where those creatures probably... So is this basically Mirkwood, the area where she and her just kin kind of like just spawned off honestly i don't recall and also um, you know time is so weird and it was so long ago that yeah, yeah maybe maybe i'm just making a connection just because spider spiders and spiders yes so anyway he nah, kills he whatever. kills this one spider and realizes he's separated from all the dwarves and he kind of picks a direction that he thinks is where they last were and bilbo is lucky the narrator points out he has this abundance of luck and he picks the right direction and eventually he stumbles upon a uh clearing filled with just hundreds of big spiders these are you know like massive spiders and they all have, talking too which is freaky <laughs> they have strung up the dozen dwarves and are about to eat them and so well, and they're commenting like are they dead or something like that too there's you know they've been nice and gooey and full of juice and they punch bomber in the face and he kicks up and it's like oh no he's not dead but then that's when bilbo gets the bright idea to start like leading them away from the dwarves and start singing like a weird song about them and managed to lead them out in a way and get them kind of lost out in the woods. Well, not really well, lost, he was wearing, just separated. He was wearing the ring and he was taunting them and he like slayed a few at the beginning and he was calling them Adderkop, which apparently is a horrible thing to be called. But and she, then, but, but I almost said she, that would have been weird. So he slays a bunch of them and then he thinks he's gotten far enough away that he kind of quiets back to the clearing and there's like one left there guarding him and he like, very quickly kills that one. Then he climbs up in the tree and he cuts free a dwarf. And so he sees uh, like a blue tip of a hat or a cloak and, and he sees a long nose and he's like, oh, this must be Feely. And he cuts Feely out. And horror of horrors, the be- Feely's beard is so tangled up in the spider web that he has to cut his beard off. Um, and so they have all been kind of stung by the spiders and so they're weary from the poison. And Feely helps kind of cut most of the dwarves free and Bomber is so out of it that he just falls onto the ground. And then the spiders come back and start attacking. So Bilbo jumps down into the floor, the ground of the clearing and like kind of slashes at them. And then all the dwarves Mm -hmm. are huddled in the middle and Bilbo's like, okay, I have to tell the truth. So he's like, guys, don't freak out. I'm going to vanish into thin air. You need to head. It's going to be cool. It's going to be okay. (laughs) He's like, you need to head that way because that's where the clearing was. And then he's like, puts the ring on they're like whoa Bilbo disappeared but Balin thankfully like had his wits about him and was like oh yes we need to go this way and so they the dwarves kind of fought their way into you know that old clearing where the feast had been while Bilbo kind of drew them away again teasing them and singing and whatnot 
And then straight up, like, they all get surrounded, and Bilbo just goes to town on spiders. I mean, he was, they've been throwing, this whole time, they've been throwing yeah. rocks. Yeah, it was, like, kind of impressive. It was, and like, a very... the dwarves are throwing rocks. And... It was, like, a really impressive moment for, like, Bilbo holding his own in that part. I was legitimately, like, like surprised and, like, oh, wow, he is showing some real, like, courageous growth. Some chutzpah. Yeah. So then, at this point, things have kind of, like, settled down, but Thorin's gone. Yeah, so they get to the clearing where they had kind of interrupted this elfin feast. And the clearing is clearly protected by some kind of magic, because one, it's open, two, it's lighter, and three, the spiders dare not come. So they all get together, and you remember how I said earlier, he sees the dozen dwarves hanging. Only at this point do they realize that Thorin is missing. So then we switch away from their point of view to Thorin's point of view. As it turns out, these are the Elves of Mirkwood. They're Sendar. If you listen to our Silmarillion podcast or read the Silmarillion, you know that they're kind of two forks of elves. They're the Eldar and the Sendar. The Eldar, um, I mean, all elves are from Middle-earth. The Eldar then went to the West, and then some of them came back to Middle-earth with magic that they had learned from the Valar in the West. And that's where we get, um, like, Galadriel. But the Sendar have always been in Middle-earth, so they aren't really as... um upper crest as the Eldar. They don't have as good magical skills and they're, no, a little, no. they're a little more untrustworthy. So they had actually captured Thorin. They brought him to their palace, which is a cave, and they're kind of interrogating him. They're like, why did you and your companions three times try to uh, ambush our dinners? And Thorin's like, we weren't trying to ambush you. We were super hungry and we were trying to ask We're way him. out of it. I don't know. So, you know, then they get some more information out of him. You know, who were your companions? And finally, they get to, why are you coming through the woods? And he refuses to answer that. Not answering that one. Because, once again, if you recall back to the Silmarillion, at the end of the Silmarillion chase, what happens? I mean, it's a lot of stuff, but what happens specifically <sighs> between elves and dwarves? Well, the dwarves ended up being, like, working with Morgoth, right? Was that no, it? No. Am okay. I too far back? You remember, and I don't remember the names, so I'm a little uh, suspect here, too. You remember once, uh, I think it's Dior has the... Silmaril from his mother and he puts it on that necklace that was made by the dwarves. Oh, yes. And he gets yeah. the dwarves to craft it and then yeah. the dwarves are like, well, this is rightfully our property. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, it's my property because it belonged to my father. And so then there's the, this like massacre between the elves and the dwarves over gold, effectively. Um, so the, the it, it, it kind of mentions this in passing. Uh, it it, it uh, alludes to it saying that this is why elves and dwarves don't trust each other. So Thorin basically refused to say what he was doing because of this distrust between the elves and the dwarves on uh, matters of gold. All right, then. Yeah, I definitely remember that then. It's it's like, but they they don't seem to do anything. Like, they feed Thorin. He still doesn't tell them where they're going, and the chapter just ends. Yeah. Even, like, saying, like, oh, the chapter... This chapter's over, and what we're going to talk about in that one is going to be in the next chapter in, like, a cute sort of way. And it's like, oh, okay. All right, that's weird. So one thing of note of these two chapters is it's really the first time we've gotten deeper into the lore uh, from the Silmarillion in The Hobbit. I mean, remember, The Hobbit was published 35 years before The Silmarillion came. You know, it was finally published posthumously. Um, And it's never outright, but we get stuff like mentioned the Necromancer, or like I just described, this kind of like history of distrust between the elves and the dwarves. Like, this is where it pays off to have read the 
the mythology because you start to understand the deeper meanings of these. I mean, we've got a little bit with the mentions of Gondolin, uh, you know, whence came the weapons, but... Well, and Elrond was like, it was like saying, oh, he's very important and blah, 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 blah. It was mentioned previously. I'm not going to mention it here, why he was important. I'm like, I know why he's important. It's the same thing yeah. that's going on in this chapter. I mean, there was a lot of action in this scene, this chap- these two chapters, and then I really like Bjorn. He's just a really interesting character to me. But, and there wasn't much history. And there was also mention of, like, how old the dwarves are. Because one of the dwarves, like, referenced the fact... He's like, I haven't felt this way in a hundred years. Or, like, my... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Younger, younger. my eyesight would be better. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. These guys are old. Everybody's old in this book. But they also... I mean, they don't really explain what Bjorn is. They say he's man. And, you know, he might be from, like, a really, really old kind of race of man and that's what Gandalf believes but it's never really explicitly stated no and no. there's no other real skin changers in uh in in these books so it's it's kind of one of those outliers that doesn't really have a backstory like Ungoliant um yeah, yeah. one of the few things in, in in Tolkien that's not just like laboriously explained so there's this kind of air of mystery to it well uh, I'm gonna like push on into something that Katie has here she has a question mm-hmm. just a cute question uh what would you change to if you if you could be a shapeshifter? Uh, I would change into a bank employee and <laughs> steal a bunch of money. And then have like a stopwatch that, t- that stops time so you can do that. And then it breaks and then you're stuck in like free- frozen time. It's Twilight Zone episode. Sorry, I don't okay. know. If I, it's, I don't I mean, know it's, also, it's also kind of that Nickelodeon produced movie, Time Stoppers. And it's also kind of the final season or series finale of Futurama. I mean, it's a common trope in, in sci-fi. Regardless. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sh- being a shapeshifter, I've always... It's like a weird fantasy ever since like reading Harry Potter with the Animagus. Yeah. Animagus. Animagus, my bad. I mean, who, <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't like fly? You know, who wouldn't become a bird? Or like a dolphin and like explore the ocean? Well, Katie said that she'd be pretty much be cool with being a bear. So that seems surprising. <laughs> Just imagine you like go into the fitting room at the mall and you like change into a bear and you come out and it's like, oh my god, there's a bear in the mall. And you just like run through, you don't hurt anybody, of course. You just like run through and then you like hide in a corner and change back into a man. And you like walk around, you're like, what's everyone? You know, like, what's the deal here? It's a, it depends. Like, do you want to be a big animal or a small animal? Like, I'd like to be a bat. Well, but like, he's he, he he's not specifically tied to one type of animal. He just prefers bear. Oh, okay. So that's, he's even—that's my understanding. He's of it. even more magical than I thought because I was like, what, "Was he just a, like? Is he a werebear? Because he can speak to like the the ponies and the dogs and his weird, critty cratter sound language that was super weird. Yeah, it's just described as like it sounds like animal like animal noises, but it also sounds like a language I don't know. Yeah. So what? Uh, what else? What other notes from Katie do we? Need to touch upon. Well, primarily the big thing is has to do with the, um, and this is the I noticed as well with the eagles, and the way they were communicating with Gandalf at the beginning, kind of just showed how that this world is so far, like we're so far gone into history with this world that everything seems to have culture in some way. It's just a continuation of like the the, the eagles have culture, mm-hmm. the the trolls have culture to a degree. And it's the, they're like that weird air of formality that they have uh, versus, uh, say, what you would expect them to have. Like almost like earlier in the Silmarillion, we talked about how we've been referencing the Silmarillion a lot. That you know they were, they would mention the elves and the humans as the children of Iluvatar, 
and they would wake up at different times, right? And they would all, they, both those would be like the really sentient big cultures. And then one of them went off and made the dwarves separately and was like, well, that was not. Which, which one? I can't remember. Ole. Ole, okay. But then like it referenced then, but before elves and men, there were also uh, animals. Animals created by? <laughs> I'm so bad. I'm having such trouble remembering Maya names. Uh, I know this one. I really liked her. I can't remember. Well, the, the forests were created by Yavanna. Yavanna, okay. Who also created the trees. <laughs> but I ju- it's just this thought that, like, these beings having culture, because they've existed technically longer than humans and elves, is just kind of an interesting idea. I, I, I think that's what's kind of been going for in this. It's also mentioned that um, the the High King of the Eagles would... Who we know as Thorondor, you know, from reading the Silmarillion. Uh, that it, uh-huh. it's mentioned at, at, upon culmination of the book, the the king is given a golden crown, and all of the fifteen eagles that helped rescue them are given golden like like wreaths or kind of like collars uh, made from dwarf gold because the dwarves were like thankful for them help, and their part in helping to recapture the mountain. Also, back to Tolkien being a linguist. Uh, apparently, Bayorn or Bayorn Bjorn. <laughs> Name seems to come from the Old English for warrior, and also sounds like the Norse word for bear. That makes so sense. It, yeah, so it's like a play I mean, off on that stuff. Not being a linguist myself, I'm assuming there's probably some connection with Beowulf, Beo, uh, same, you know, Beorn. Yeah. Uh, and Tolkien, you know, wrote a rather famous translation of Beowulf. And Zemeckis directed a rather famously bad Ooh. direction. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that was pretty bad. That's all of what Katie has actually in her notes. She mostly just has like a description of like everything uh, that that happens in these two chapters. It just felt like this was a lot. Yeah, this to get was... in. Like I feel like this was like a massive chunk of the story, and it seemed to kind of like come at at like this was the densest as well of the entire book so far. Like it seemed like I got a lot thrown at me. It felt like reading the Silmarillion again a little bit. Not not exactly, but I kind of got that sort of similar vibe. I mean, it was... Like throwing a lot at me at in once. In my copy, it was a good, like, 50 pages, where most of our two-chapter selections have been, like, 30 pages. Yeah. More happens, there's more description, we come into, like, kind of more unknowns. Well, and also, I really did like the descriptions of food. Again, it seems like every single section we read... There's, like, great mentions of food, like the part where Gandalf comes back in and he's so hungry, it's, like, two loaves of bread and, like, yeah. honey. And butter. And butter and clotted cream on them. And i just like, man, this sounds really, really good. And then a continued thing that I've noticed in this book is this is constant going from, like, the dwarves will be in a place that's awesome and they're eating well and they've got food and lodging and it's all awesome and adventuring's great. And then, like, suddenly they're back into, like, oh, God, we're about to be eaten by spiders. This is horrible. Yeah. This is that constant, like, up and down of the story that just never seems to cease. So, did Katie include her favorite part? Oh, yeah. We both shared the favorite on this one. And that's just the scene where uh, Gandalf is telling the story to Bjorn, and the hobbits are coming in little by little, or the dwarves are coming in little by little. It's just a great scene. Because it's like, he gets so, like, childlike in that scene, too, of like, oh, like, but... But that's wrong because I'm paying attention to the story. It wasn't. It's not. Oh, we got more. We got more dwarves coming up. It's just so great and cute, and I really just dug that whole part. Mine is actually when Bilbo is fighting the spiders, 
just like the the weird names that he calls them. I don't, you know, I don't know if these were actual like kind of insults in the 1940s or if they're just unique to the book. But the, the narrator treats them as something that we would just like obviously know when to me they aren't. And so they come off as very silly. That's the whole book, though. The whole book is doing stuff like that, like just like throwing out some like phrase and being like, you know that, right? Like, what's the thing like confuse like con- that that Katie loves so much? Confuscate or something? Confuscate. They use Confuscate. it again here. Yeah. Here we go. Bilbo's taunting song: "Old fat spider spinning in a tree. Old fat spider can't see me. Adder cop, adder cop, won't you stop? Stop your spinning and look for me. Old Tom Naughty, <laughs> all big body. Old Tom Naughty can't spy me." Adder cop, adder cop, down you drop. You'll never catch me up your tree. And then the narrator says, Not very good, perhaps, but then you must remember that he had to make it up himself on the spur of a very awkward moment. He did what he wanted anyway. Dot, dot, dot. Quite apart from the stones, no spider has ever liked being called adder cop. And Tom Naughty, of course, is insulting to anybody. I just like that. Again, it's just, it's it's another example of the narrator just pulling, just messing with us as we're going through. And what's the name of the next chapter? Uh, chapter nine. Let me see. Barrels out of bond. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what that means. And I have a feeling we're going to get to know more about the wood elves in this next. And part. chapter ten, a warm welcome. So we'll see you next week with chapters nine and ten of The Hobbit. Uh, I'm John. I'm Chase. Thank you for listening to us. We're Talking Tolkien. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher under that name, facebook.com slash talkingtolkien, and we're at Talking Tolkien on Twitter. If you'd like to send us an email, theprofessor at talkingtolkien.com, please give us a shout out. We'd love to hear from you.